Good morning. This is Sunday Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Kellams. With me is Heim Goodman-Strauss. He's a math professor at the University of Arkansas. Good morning, Kyle. Good morning, Heim. Uh, let's see. We had a we had a question, a math question right. last week. Right. So uh, Magic Johnson was taking shots. Yes. And with the um, probability of making a shot depended on what had happened before. So if, say, eight out of nine shots had been made to that point, then the probability of making the next one would be eight-ninths. Right. And the question was, what would be the probability of, of in the end... Oh, and it started out with, uh, he made the first shot, missed the second one. And so what... Oh, go ahead. What was the probability of having five out of ten of the shots? Or that, or some number out of any number. Right. And, and, and I have to admit, I really kind of got lost in all of this, because I... I just try as I might couldn't separate the fact that he's a very good outside shooter. Well, okay. you know, and, and this, but but I knew what you were kind of trying to get at. Well, what's amazing is that um, so normally, if it were like a say a fifty-fifty chance, no matter what, it would like have been a coin fo- like toss. a coin toss. It would have followed the bell curve, and I want to talk mm-hmm. about that just in a second because that's really quite a, kind of an amazing thing. Uh, for this one, though, the more sort of. <clears throat> Um, that is to say, it would have been more likely to make sort of a number of shots in the half of the shots, roughly, than, say, some extreme number of shots. Um, amazingly, though, here, you know, the more like the more sort of towards the extremes you already are, the more likely you're going to stay and be driven towards the extremes. It's as if you took the bell curve and you kind of just smushed it out towards the ends. Mm-hmm. In this uh, in this particular example, it works out exactly so that it's exactly equally likely that he would have made one shot two shots, three shots, four shots, five, six, seven, eight, nine. He couldn't have made all ten because he missed the first one. Right. So as one-ninth of um, probably one out of nine times he would have made, say, five shots, four shots, oh, three I shots, see. two shots. It's kind of an amazing thing, and uh, it just works out that way. There's not really any reason. You can prove it, but it's right. not. But hmm. the main thing is it just somehow squishes the bell curve out till it's completely flat. So you were asking um, uh, before we t- started taping about cards, right? Well, I just wondered if, if so, if the first card was red and the second card was black, would this work? So, well, here's what, an amazing okay. thing. So take a deck of cards and mm-hmm. deal them out one at a time: red cards, black cards. Right. Some are red, some are black. What's the probability that exactly half the cards <laughs> will be red? By the time you're done, by the time if you've done. got a legitimate deck, it's 100. percent Yeah, so that's not very good. Okay, but now, but see, each, but if each card were independent of the other, see, that's the point. They're not really independent when you deal. So a deck. let's say you went to a casino and right. you took all of their all decks of the cards decks and you cards. mixed them up, and you just dealt out 100. Right, because that's not out of very, a million cards. Right, then each card is com- essentially independent of the other. Sure, ones, right, and then you ask, and then you sort of plot on a graph. You know, what's the probability that out of those, just one would be red, out of I two see. would be red. Right. Three would be red. Then if you plot that, you would have sort of a bar graph, mm-hmm. and it sort of slo- starts out very low at one end and mm-hmm. slopes up and mm-hmm. middles out and then slopes back down. Sure, sure. That right? make, well, that, yes, that makes sense. Well, that, the highest probability is going to be there in the middle. That's right. At the bell curve. And, in fact, it is the bell curve. It's a very specific shape that, um, you know, if you instead did it with uh, – instead of 100 – independent events. Mm-hmm. You did it with a trillion independent mm-hmm. events. You'd have a much finer thing. It wouldn't look so chunky as a bunch of bars, but it'd be a nice smooth graph, smoother. Right. And you could make it as smooth. You could more finely and finely approximate this thing. And it comes out to be this perfectly sh- well-shaped thing that, I mean, I think everybody's seen sure. a picture of it. And it's called the bell curve because... It looks, I guess, like a bell. Exactly. You know, it used to be on the on the last 10 mark notes before they went to the euro. Old Carl, Carl Frederick Gauss was on the note. Ah. And... Um, and it had the bell curve. It had a number of his inventions. I mean, hmm. of things that he had 
recognize. We should we should put inventors and and, and mathematicians and everything and, and smart people on our bills. Yeah. Well. Anyway. Well, I think there were smart people. Now, on Alexander bills. Hamilton was. I mean, not to diss the others. I digress. Go ahead. Anyway, the um, it's an amazing fact though. It's not just that it was 50-50 on each independent event. In fact, if you take a whole bunch of loaded dice and a whole bunch of loaded coins and weird cards and where, you know, it's just crazy probabilities for each of them, but you have enough of them, then it'll always make exactly the same bell-shaped curve. It's called That's called the central limit theorem. It's a very important theorem in, um, in probability. It, it also explains, for example, why if you plot, say, the heights of corn plants, you know, then you sort of make a little bar chart of that. Then it's going to also follow, follow the bell curve or perhaps more notoriously, um, you know, intelligences or things of that sort. If you think about it, well, what, what, why does a corn plant grow to be exactly 57 whatever? Mm-hmm. I don't know how big a corn plant it grows. Yeah, I don't either. But, uh, well, if you think about it, it's a whole bunch of little random things like it might have rained that day. Soil might be better here. Right. And that kind of thing. And so it's just, it's just like throwing a whole bunch of loaded dice out on the table. And so, of course, it follows the same general pattern. This is not telling you what will happen, but it's telling you it's more likely that this will happen. In, in a very, very specific right. way. Right. Very specific way. And then it has a very curious connection to the famous number E and to pi mm-hmm. and the following way. The um, This is all-star stuff here you're bringing out. You're bringing out E, pi, bell uh, curve. This is, this this is, is the, the all-star thing. team. Yeah, it is. Well, if you actually – the sort of the canonical bell curve is actually the function um, – e to the minus x squared. That is to say, if you plot, you give, feed in some x's and then you plot a graph of uh, y equals e to the minus x squared, then it follows this bell curve. So e shows up there. It looks sort of like, you know, a snake that all swallowed an elephant. Right, right. right. And uh, the area under that curve, going all the way from negative infinity to infinity, it's an infinitely long shape, but it actually would only take a finite amount of paint to cover it. And the amount of area, uh, I forgot to be sure of this checking on the way in, but I believe it's root 2, I mean, sorry, the square root of pi over 2, which is kind of a nice, <laughs> I might have, I think that's right. Okay. But I forgot to check it. Well, here it so, goes. Uh, isn't that amazing? So it's like these numbers, e and pi, they show up again in this kind of a context, hmm. which started out kind of funny. It was just tossing coins. Right. And here we are. Uh, I was thinking about it. You know, we take – so E, I think, is more mysterious to people because they don't – most – you don't start to see it till calculus class and people don't see that very much. <laughs> but even pi is more mysterious than people think about it. You know, so pi is, of course, famously the ratio. If you take a circle, it's a perfect the circle. perfect circle. It's the amount that the circumference around is uh, greater than the diameter across, right? Right. So the – circumference is pi times the diameter. Okay, fine. We have that particular thing. It makes sense that larger circles, the two things will grow together. Mm-hmm. And we'll call that ratio pi. Fine. Sure. Okay. But why does that same ratio show up even for areas of circles? <sighs> well, you know, like the area of a circle is proportional to the radius squared. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, don't know. It doesn't, it seems, it seems, if you think about it, we take it so for granted that, okay, pi has something to do with circles, but why is it the same ratio appearing in the, in the same, in a similar fashion? Or, um, for that matter, why it shows up in spheres and so on. In a similar way, why does E appear? And I think it's kind of a, a deep and interesting thing to ponder 
in each case, we can show this sort of logical set of connections. There's a way that if you know what that ratio is for the perimeter of a circle, then you can work out what the ratio has to be for areas, and so the ratio is related somehow. But it's just one of those odd things, I think, about mathematics that... Is it not acceptable to say the reason is it just is? Well, it isn't just because it just is. <laughs> it is, it is just because it just is that, there's, that the ratio is, say, 3.141, right. whatever. But, it, but it's not just that it just is, that it's the same ratio that appears. It's too big of a coincidence. Okay. There's too many numbers for it just to be... It's a, I guess that's what's so nice and wonderful about um, doing mathematics is that you see all these connections just sort of popping up in all kinds of mysterious and hmm. wonderful ways. Um, oh, by the way, this somebody wrote us in, my friend Edmund Harris, who in fact was in the studio yes, he uh, was. four years ago yes. or so, and he told me that the um, – we mentioned the the thing where you drop the balls in mm-hmm, and they mm-hmm. pitter around on the boards. That was oh, in, Pl- Plinko or whatever? Yeah. Uh, right, but it was Plinko, invented by the um, – the scientist Galton, and he called it, apparently, and I would really appreciate it if anybody could shed any light on this word, uh, this thing. Kunikunks? That's as good a guess as mine. Kunikunks or something? Hmm. There's a real, there's a word, so it's Q-U-N-I-C-U-N-X. There's a, if you look up in the dictionary, Q-U-I-N-X. Q-U-I-N-C-U-N-X is a legitimate word. It means, uh, which I didn't know until Edmund sent me off on this, mm-hmm. it's a, uh, an arrangement of like the five spots on, the, on a die on the, when you roll a five. You know, it's four, yeah. four around a and square the one, and in, the one middle. in the middle. And that has a name, that, that design. Yeah, isn't that nice? <laughs> That's so now fantastic. you can just drop that at the next party. Oh, yes. Well, when I go to— <laughs> When I go up to the, uh, yeah. you know, the tables in Vegas, yeah. you know, Daddy needs a pair of quincunks. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, but why is this quincunks, or is it? I don't know. Yeah. I couldn't resolve that. So huh. if anybody has and, uh, and any who, insight, who, who came up with the Galton. game? Galton. Galton. And um, and and Galton was of what nationality? English. Okay. Well, British. Maybe he well, wasn't English. Yeah. You have to be. You're very careful. Careful. Very careful. Uh, anyway. I'd, all of that. I have mm-hmm. a couple of puzzles that we won't really attempt to answer on the air next week. Okay. We'll, but they both are connected to E. This and, is a math smorgasbord this week. Yeah. I love it. Okay. And, and okay. what's great is they don't. I mean, they're just wonderful little puzzles. I mean, E is E tends tends to show up in a, all kinds of strange contexts. When you write the number E, it's the lowercase. Yeah, lowercase e. e, which I believe is uh, named after Euler. Yes, Euler's number or something, but. Uh, there's a lot of Oilers, this isn't that, so. Yeah. Be, um, so a couple that we're not going to okay. answer on the air. But, yeah, okay. But, now, by the way, we should mm-hmm. also mention we've had a whole bunch of e-puzzles in the past. So people that are looking through our archives, we had the camels and rockets, uh, camels and bananas. Oh, that was one of my favorites, actually. You remember that I one? I do, I do and very we, well. And we had... Uh, I love that one. We had some other ones. Didn't uh, rockets going up in the space and how much fuel yeah. it would take to get? That's right. And 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 it gets to the point where you just can't do and it. And we did one on compound interest. If you compound interest infinitely often, right? And right. then the the e shows up there. And right. we did one um, on the podcast, not on the air, where we had an inchworm on a long piece of elastic mm-hmm. that grew and grew and grew, and e showed up there. So okay, here's two more. Okay, one is you have a big bowl of spaghetti. I like this already. Okay, all right, big. 
deep bowl of lots and lots of spaghetti. And what you do is you reach in and you grab a strand of spaghetti mm-hmm. and you tie, tie it to another strand of spaghetti. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now you, and now you reach in and you grab another strand. And so you tie all the ends of the spaghetti together randomly. And the question is, um, how many loops of spaghetti do you expect to have? So I suppose you start out with 100 strands of spaghetti. You might, by some fortuitous luck, uh, tie them all into one long loop. But most likely, if you're doing it randomly, you'll have a bunch of short loops and some medium long mm-hmm. loops. Mm-hmm. So um, how many loops, on average, hmm. of spaghetti would you have? Okay. That's kind of nice. Yeah. And another one that's uh, sort of related to that is um, suppose you have 100 people and you want to know – and they're all going to sit down, but they're not going to sit down in their proper seats. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they have name tags and everybody's going to be sure to end up with the wrong name tag. Okay. Okay. How many ways can, say, 100 people all get the wrong name tag? Ooh. And so all 100 all have 100. a name tag that is not – and these are distributed randomly. Right. You and put it, them in a big bowl, and as you come in the room, you take whatever name tag you get. But if it's your no, – well, not uh, – but not your own. But not okay. – Everybody has to have the wrong name gotcha. tag. And, so uh, how many different ways? Yeah. Or what's the prob- – or another or another way to put it is if everybody, if everybody comes in and gets a name tag, what's mm-hmm. the probability that they will – that everybody will have the wrong name gotcha. tag? Yeah. Both of those are e-puzzles. Okay. Anything else? Or we're going to go at the farmer's market. Yes, yes. Uh, First Saturday in November, we'll be out there with our math table Mm -hmm. looking for questions, comments. So bring them in. All right. Very good. Hi. Thanks a lot. See you later. I'm Goodman Strauss as a math professor at the University of Arkansas.